1: Listen to Season 2 of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I
4: try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment.
3: Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here.
5: From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life.
2: I want to talk about TikTok today. I talk about it a fair amount. Um, It's in my house. My daughter is using it. I've been using it. I've been trying to understand what it means for me. It's obviously a major social media platform outlet vehicle. And it's funny because I have an email where I sent to a woman who consults on our social media. I sent her an email saying... I think this TikTok thing is going to become a thing. And this was before Charlie D'Amelia even launched on it. And she said back to me, it's really for eight to 13 year olds and it's all about just little dances and trends. So it's not for you. And I never forget to remind her that, but I didn't know how to insert myself and incorporate myself into it. And I think it did start with these sort of copycat dances because that's what I was seeing in my house with my daughter and then I would do one once in a while, but I would suck at it. And I'm realizing now in watching it, that, you know, people have their own shtick. Like some people just like cook Italian food all day and have like, you know, a shtick with their 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 kids about it. Like just showing all the food porn of all the Italian food. And other people um, are amazing at dancing. And then I like when the couples are dancing and they're uh, creative. And then you see people doing scenes from shows. Like, so scenes from me on The Housewives or scenes from me on the uh, The Big Shot. There are memes on there. So it's sort of just like, it's like another Instagram. It's just a different way of doing it, and, and it's uh, used differently. What's crazy, and I don't see this on Instagram, so what's going on here is I think there are a lot of maybe trolls on here. So I, I see some girls posting something about their mugshot and then arguing with people in the comments of about the fact that... Uh, they've done time and not unless you've done time and you know what doing time is like. And like girls putting as their sort of resume that they've done time. So that's now cool. Um, girls opening up boxes about their fake bags. I just got a fake Louis. I just got my fake Louis Vuitton cause I was too cheap to pay for it. And I opened it up and they're showing you the quilting and whatever. And I just got my fake Hermes belt. And so there's a lot of like video and counterfeit products there. So on eBay, which I know is where you're buying uh supposedly authentic items, they years ago had a big issue because people were selling fake things on eBay and I think it still has that rap like that you that you got to be careful where if you buy maybe at first dibs or um at the real real or I guess Poshmark or Tradesy maybe that 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 it's more real. I mean it could happen anywhere. I mean the fake stuff is as good as the real stuff, which is is crazy. And then I guess people are wondering why would they buy the real stuff? And it's because it's just, it's got to be better quality and it's just the respecting the brand and not having cheap crap stuff. And so, but I just think that's weird that, so our kids are watching like girls open up fake bags. And I, I know because my daughter told me that some of her friends bought a fake Gucci bag, a fake Chanel bag, a fake whatever. Um, and then this weekend my daughter saw these scrunchies and she doesn't even know what Louis Vuitton is. She said something to me the other day about what is that brand that has like the letters and the something and I was the initials and I was like a Louis Vuitton. So we, bought, she saw this scrunchie and she wanted it because she likes the rainbow colors. And I was like, oh, are you just like buying something because it's got a logo? But And then it's fake. Like all these hats now have these scarves around them with the Hermes logo or the Chanel logo. And you see all these makeup bags that are made of like missoni towels they've cut up and dolce gabbana and these these luxury brands have to be going crazy crazy because you can't how could you control this so my daughter is just buying anything that says well she bought one thing that said louis vuitton on it but i see a lot of times on housewives art they have like chanel in pictures and all this stuff so this 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 vehicle is sort of teaching them about counterfeit stuff and and brands and logos. And yes, this has been going on since the beginning of time, kids get influenced, etc. But they're on here so much that the messages are definitely more frequent. You know, someone said that, They got an eating disorder from someone's page because of the way they tell you to eat or it's only this many calories and everyone on TikTok is eating burgers on peppers as buns and and tomato slices as a bun. Like, what? So, you know, I'm I'm wary. I get it. I like it. I like the fact that people are being creative in dancing. We don't see a lot of dancers in normal life. And so people are just at home and you just find out they're great dancers. So I really do like that. I like the humor. People do a lot of voiceover stuff where they're like talking with someone else's voice. And then the gimmicks you throw your shoe up in the air and you kick. And then I did this one. And then like you're wearing a different outfit and somebody decides the songs are cool and everybody's using them. And so it's a copycat app, which is crazy. Like someone decides something's cool. Everyone's copying it, which I guess happens elsewhere. But then other people become famous and, 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 um, do well and gain millions of followers because of how well they copy someone else's things. So why is that okay there, but it's not okay to be a designer that sees a Prada handbag and then you copy it, but you make money because you, I just don't understand because I have a big intellectual property business and I do not really copy. And when I say really, um, there was a girl that did this like to a song, she did planks, like she did, like, you know, the, the exercise planks. I put on a frilly dress and um, I did this thing. I like to make things my own and I'll come up with, that's why a lot of times I'll put songs of my own on there. Like I was eating sorbet and I was, played like Prince's Raspberry Beret, but with raspberry sorbet, or I did my own version of Evita. You know, I feel it, like I just don't like copying because then why can't some stand up copy somebody else's act? as their own make it their own and then be successful. So I just think this world of TikTok and copying is something to think about. And it's ironic that they're talking about copy bags all over TikTok. Then I'm getting to the fact that so you're seeing, you know, our kids are breaking in and they're on the grown-up TikTok. They're not all on the kids TikTok. And I know it's our responsibility, but when everybody's doing something and everybody has a cell phone and you try to tell your kid you can't have a cell phone, you know, it's like it's 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 hard for them. So these kids are on and I, I was going to do a dance with my daughter the other day and I didn't even realize that she was like, I think that one of the songs said, I put my dick in your ass or something. I, I think that, I think, I think that's what the song said. And then today I was watching somebody, one one of the people who used to be on The Housewives do something about like, they're wearing an outfit and then there's a song about like your pussy or so. I, I mean, I'm not that conservative. We know this, but I just feel like, is it necessary to be posting then I'm slut shaming. I don't know. I just think like, should you be standing there in a, a sexy outfit with like a very, very sexy, like fuck me song? I, I just, I, it it it, it cr- makes me cringe. It makes me cringe. I don't want to do it. I don't want to see my daughter do it. I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's appropriate. I, I just respectfully do not agree that it's empowering to be dancing and singing to songs that are just so vulgar. I just don't. So I'm curious what you all think about that, because um, I know you'll have differing opinions and that's what we're here for. My guest today is Shark Tank star and businesswoman, Barbara Corcoran. She founded the Corcoran Group, a real estate brokerage in New York City, which she sold in 2001 for $66 million. She's one of the show's original shark investors and has appeared in all seasons of the show to date. Today, we talk about how money spent on memories is never poorly spent, the importance of avoiding time sucks, how difficult upbringings can give you the building blocks for success, and why worrying about money is a waste of time. I always love talking with Barbara, and I think you're really going to enjoy our conversation too. Hi, Barbara. Hello there. We met when I came to do like sort of a mock Shark Tank on ABC in the morning. Were you there that day with the with the, with the the anchors? I was with you. Yep. And I think I'd met you another time because you reached out to me about your Daisy Cakes or some brand that you had that was Daisy, I think.
0: Daisy Cakes. Yeah, I forgot about that. And you were very helpful. I hope I thanked you. Yeah. Uh,
2: so we know each other. I'm just letting people know. We know each other. But I know a lot of the people that come on here. And I don't really know them because when we talk, we talk about what's going on, what's going on in Shark Tank, what's going on with business, sort of, we all really run in superficial sort of, not just circles, but you don't really get to know people. So when I read about you or people that I have on here, I'm just fascinated in some of the similarities in our, in my life with yours, yours with other people, but just that I didn't really know anything about you. Um, I just know that you're a strong woman who created a real estate empire that you sold. And then um, reading that you grew up with 10 kids in your household.
0: Yeah, so I was one of 10. (laughs)
2: Right, but that's 10 kids in the house and that- that alone is 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 a story. I mean, I can't imagine. Dennis Leary, I think, maybe had seven or eight kids, and he's told me about it. He said that it's easier than you think because the older ones take care of the younger ones. Is that true or no? Well,
0: I think you'd have to talk to my mother about that, and I don't think she would agree at all, all right? She had 10 kids. She did the ironing. She did seven loads of wash a day. She hung it on a line every day. She cleaned the house. She had two bedrooms that she squeezed us into. She made the ends meet wondering where our groceries were going to come from when my dad quit his job for the 11th time because the boss told him what to do and he didn't like to be told what to do. So I witnessed it. And no, I wouldn't say that was easy. If you ask my mom, now, maybe if you ask my brothers, they would say, Oh, mom was great. But as a daughter, I saw her and I thought, Oh my God, how does she do that? <laughs> and I'm still in awe of how she pulled it out and managed to do a good job. And wound up with 10 confident, successful kids that somehow made it in the world.
2: That's amazing. Well, the foundation starts at home, and it sounds like your mom provided uh, a solid foundation. And that doesn't necessarily have to come from money by any stretch of the imagination. The people that I know who feel that they are secure in their home relationships and the foundation walk into the world in a different a different amount of confidence than people who sort of have had a lot of uncertainty in their relationships in their household. I'm learning that.
0: Yeah. Well, I I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, is, should I say that?
2: You can say anything you want. Yeah, it's a conversation. I'm in, right?
0: Um, I don't know if I agree with that so wholeheartedly. I think very often kids that have struggle. Uh, wind up being better prepared for life because they find their confidence through succeeding in the struggle at a very young age. Whereas I find uh, my own kids, they're privileged kids. I'm not knocking them. They're equally successful in their own right, thank God. But I think it's harder with an affluent kid uh, to oh, get a hundred percent. Yeah. No, yeah. we oh, agree. I'm
2: talking about emotionally, interpersonally, more in personal relationships. I wasn't talking about success which yes, like this yes, show yes. really is about. But I found that people who have a strong family hu- unit don't have the same noise about loyalty and having someone there for you and family and that as people who've come from solid. That's why we agree. I could not agree with you more about your father who had a job, didn't have a job. Like even if he had a lower paying job the the sporadic nature of that is very jarring to kids because you have it you don't have it are we doing this are we not doing it and it gives you a sense of, of money noise and i wonder what your relationship to money was as a kid and how it's evolved have you broken away from that because when you don't know when food's coming and you don't know if your dad's keeping a job that has to stay with you in some way
0: uh, surprisingly, it really didn't stay with me because I had something else going on in the household, which was modeled by my mother. Uh, she always said to us, money is made to be spent. And so uh, no matter what was going on, uh, she would put our new coat on a credit card. I mean, we'd only get one every three years when we outgrew the last one. I couldn't get it from the older sibling sending it down. It was worn out. But uh, she managed to get our coat managed to uh, for each of us to visit the dentist every four years. We just rotated the kids the kids through. She managed to do all of that, and she didn't worry about money. I remember one time when I was building the Corcoran Group, I was in debt over my ears. It was a terrible real estate recession. No one was buying anything. I was starving to death as a business, as an individual. I was almost starving to death, and um, I remember my mom calling to just check up on me, calling me. She, she still had five kids at home. She was tending to, and, and she's listening to me. I wasn't talking about work. She says, you sound preoccupied. I said, well, I am preoccupied. I'm really worried about my business. I think I might go belly up. And she said, Oh, Barbara, Ann, you're not worried about money. Are you? And I said, wow. of course I'm worried about money. And she said, what a waste of time. Wow. <laughs> and I, I just thought, she's right. What a waste of time. What's it accomplished for me to worry myself sick? So I stopped worrying. And I'm not saying the business turned around because of that. I'm sure it was going to do what was good. It did turn around right after that. But she took the silliness of it all off my plate. And so my attitude toward money is really not how much money I can make, but just see how successful I could become because it's a game, how far I could go. And then on any money I get, I spend it. I spent money. I didn't have I really spent money. Now, fortunately, I have more money than I could spend. And that's a nice position. But if I didn't, I'd be spending money, whatever fit my fancy, because my mother taught us the charm of money is so it's meant to be spent. And I can recall for you one incident that happened that really changed my attitude toward fun and money. And that was my dad finally started his own business. His first check, a thousand dollars, which then was like five, ten thousand dollars, maybe. And he said, Well, guess what, kids? We're going on vacation. And the next morning we rented a house in Wildwood, New Jersey at the beach, and we blew the money on a vacation for a week.
2: I like that. I like that. That's that's a it, it's simple.
0: But you know what my memory of it is, Bethany? Is it's it's my greatest memory of the time we went on vacation and the first thing I spend money on constantly is fun days, vacation. I anything that costs money that is in the fun area, I'm there first. I'm right there first. I don't miss a thing.
2: Oh interesting. You don't miss a thing. I miss everything, but I spend on experiences. Uh-huh. I spend my money on experiences. Like I'm taking my daughter to this lodge and glamping and just because I know it'll be a great experience and it's just going to force us to be together in nature. And so that's the type of stuff that I like to spend my Might ask
0: your daughter. if She wants to be with you, by the way, maybe check. I planned something like that once. And Kate said to me, I don't want to go.
2: <laughs> oh, I did. My daughter's obsessed with me. We are like one person. And particularly during the pandemic, it's gotten to be. We're, we're attached at the hip. It's been, re- that's been a nice part of the pandemic. You're right the, connect- about that. the connecting has been unprecedented. People have college kids home that they didn't expect they'd ever have in their homes again. So I come from a place of, yes, I will say that I do. Um, and you, you said that your mom showed you what efficiency was. So it's about time management and being organized. Are you very organized? Do you manage your time very efficiently?
0: I chunk my time that's what my system is you can't ever get balance that's a fallacy that people chase
2: agreed but but
0: what I do is I chunk my work away from my pleasure my pleasure away from my work when I was raising my kids they were young they wouldn't dare call me at the office unless they were dead dying they would call my secretary they wouldn't call me because I said I'm working unless it's important don't bother me but when wow. I was home nobody at work bothered me I was with my family so by Drawing severe lines, I think I have a as close as you could get to balance in a life, which we all can't get, of course. Uh, but that's about as close as I became by chunking my time. Also, in my work day and my home day, I, I chunk all the time. There, like I have my days I do media, I have my days I do research, I have my days I do Shark Tank related businesses. I do. I have like days set up for each thing, and they rotate because it gives me a much better sense of control and less waste of time. And then I could staff the people around me for my needs in a more easy fashion because everything's like organized, like in a file cabinet as best as I could.
2: I call it stacking and it's similar. So for same as you, if I'm in hair and makeup that day, anything anybody wants me to get done... To say, to do a video, to do something for social media, to promote a product, it has to be jammed into that day, which will be a crazy day. I've done three photo shoots in the same day, TV shoots, cover a magazine. I like cause then I like to relax when I like to relax. And like you, I like to be present in what I'm doing. So you're present and working, I'm present here with you. And when I'm with my daughter, I'm present. And so I think that's a great tip for everyone at home. You can get down time sucks in work and not be working wisely. And you can get down time sucks in social. You're on your phone, you're looking at shopping, you're like, you know, you're down some rabbit hole. Time management and efficiency, which your mom obviously taught you or showed you by example. you
0: obviously learned it as well. Yeah, Yeah. it's
2: very huge. And I call it stacking, but you call it that. And I also say, um, I would rather, I bet you can speak to this. I would rather have fewer buckets full then you know i'd rather have six buckets full than 12 buckets half full meaning what's the roi on your time for being with your kids for doing philanthropy for working on shark tank et cetera? don't you find that you have now as you've gotten more successful and busier you just can say no and yes so easily because you know it's going to be a time suck for no return on your investment financially emotionally spiritually
0: Yeah, you know, Bethany, I think you get better at saying no as you get older. I wish I was better uh, because I have a bleeding heart a bit. And so I wish I was better at it than I actually am. But I would agree with you about your bucket analogy. I mean, nothing is less satisfying than skimming the top of something and not finishing it off. There's such a satisfaction of checking a list and getting it done versus working a little bit on it all, a little bit on it all. And it never seems to get done that way. And it's never done right, obviously. Yes, I would wholeheartedly agree.
5: Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So, well, you talked earlier about that you are just like you're not counting the money, you are just executing your vision, your dreams, checking boxes it setting out to do something and then then accomplishing that goal the way that i see it for me is when the tables go cold i'll walk away i won't force it i won't white knuckle it i'm just sort of riding the set of waves
0: i didn't know you gambled i'm surprised to hear honestly i thought you're a control freak excuse me i misjudged you
2: i am and when i grew up at the racetrack and i did used to gamble a lot because i didn't have anything and when you have nothing you're you're willing to gamble but now that i have have i'm not a big gambler um so the, the metaphor is about like when the table goes cold, I'll, I'll walk. I'm not going to be like going back in and doubling down and trying to get it back. So how do you feel about your relevance and um, how long do you want to stay continuing to work and do this? You said earlier, it's working and you're going to take it as long as it can go. So what does that exactly mean? What's as long as it can go?
0: Whatever strikes my fancy, you know, I think for all of us, we like to feel like we made a difference or make a difference in our day-to-day work. And I feel that every day at work. I feel like I'm helping a lot of people, whether it be the people I invest in, which I work so closely with, or whether it be, you know, the people that call in on the 888 Barber line. Tons and tons of questions, and I answer them. And so uh, I feel like I make a huge difference to people. I think I have an acumen. Precising people up quickly. I think I have an acumen for uh, sending people in a different direction, getting them to see things differently. And uh, that makes a big difference. So I try to do that, you know, from the results of Shark Tank. I try to do it. I do it on my podcast. I do it on my 888 number. Um, And I can't imagine that stopping. I feel like the more I work and the more people I know and the more in love with people i fall and i love people i find them delicious just delicious um i find that the more i want to be in the game you know so i guess i'll drop dead one day
2: do you define yourself by how full your calendar is the way that joan rivers did in her documentary like do you feel it's weird if you don't have a lot going on or you you revel in it
0: I, i define myself by how excited i am about what's in my calendar if it's filled with stuff I'm not excited about, that's bad news. Something's wrong. And then I go to my mountain or my library. I should call it my mountain, my public library. And I make a list of what I love and what I hate because I'm off course. My mm. my game is off course. And then I I love very few things. There are always the similar things that I love again and again because it's what I'm good at, right? And I make a long list of what I hate. And then I go back to the office. I give it away. And you would think that the stuff I would hate would be bad to give away, not at all. I mean what, what I'm not good at, somebody else is great at and they it's like giving them a present. you know, whoa, I'm in charge of that. Yeah, you are. And then I get my mojo going again uh, and I'm excited about what's in my book. You know when you're not ex- when you're not excited what's in your day, it's time for regrouping, I believe. yeah. I do that regularly. I did that about a month ago. it's maybe four or five weeks ago, yeah, it really helped me tremendously again.
2: So I've introduced I mean, I've interviewed some serious people on here, Matthew McConaughey and and like I said, Hillary Clinton and and um, Chelsea Handler and, uh, you know, billionaires in different fields. And I found it very interesting. The majority of people are in a successful relationship. Now, they are successful people in a successful relationship. And I use that word with air quotes because. I'm not pretending that your relationship is perfect. I assume it's not. No one's relationship is perfect, but you are together and sure. you like a thriving business, <laughs> right? So like a thriving business, whether it does well every day or it has problems or doesn't, you're in a, in a marriage that's working and, and stood the test of time. So- I have received advice uh, or, you know, people saying that one person has to let the other person really um, be on a longer leash and be who they are, that you don't worry about the optics about what other people think, that you do a daily check-in. Matthew McConaughey said that, you know, they're the bubble and they do it the way they're going to do it. And they set the rules in the beginning. So it makes it very easy. And I find this part of this conversation very interesting. So I'm interested in your perspective and your relationship Uh, as a successful Well, first,
0: let me qualify that Bill's a sweetheart, just because I have to preserve his his reputation. He's an absolute sweetheart. And everybody loves Bill, kind of like everybody loves Raymond. Our relationship is quite clear. I'm in charge. He knows it. And he lets me do what I want. I am as free as if I was a single woman. I mean, not free to fool around. I don't even have the appetite. I'm lucky I'm even good in bed with Bill. But live my life as I wish. And... And he's totally supportive of that. That's what I love about Bill. He's totally supportive of my freedom. Now, on the shoe on the other foot, am I totally supportive of him? Hardly. Nope. I object to everything he does and I let him know it right away. <laughs> I'm the- oh, you like the, the same. In the relationship. Always, you should, you should, you should, you should. But he ignores me like a bear, it just whoosh, pushes me away. Because he, knows who he is, and he's not bothered by me. He's like the big old bear on the curb somewhere, swatting flies and flies. But does he adore you? Well, Bill adores me. It's ridiculous. If I was on the other side of the relationship, I would file for divorce without a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt. But he adores me, has from day one. He's decided who he married and hasn't changed it when I owed it. And I have changed. I'm much worse than that first year or two. Trust me. I was lovey, dovey. Yeah. Forget it.
2: But you respect him.
0: Yes. I have to. I've no I can't change him. And when you can't change someone, and no matter how hard you try, they don't do as they're told. At that point, you know, you have a boulder sitting in the middle of the road and you have to respect it and go around it. It's as simple as that. Got
2: it. But if you changed him, you would have a problem with whatever that was, too.
0: I spent 20 years trying to change him. He didn't change one inch. I don't know what day I realized that I gave up. It was like, okay, I'll go around the boulder. He's not moving.
2: Well, someone uh, said said to me, wants and needs. In a relationship, you have to determine what are your wants and what are your needs. Like needs are deal breakers. This has got to go on. I need this in my life. I need this in my relationship. For you, it might be that you need a, a yes, longer lease. Very leash. much like, so. You, you couldn't. If he didn't give you this freedom, you cannot be in this relationship.
0: Yeah. And what he needs on his side is three square meals a day. Easy. And you make them? Hell no. I cater. <laughs> no. I make some on weekends, but not on a work day. I cater everything. In. Take out, take out, take okay. my middle name. But I cook a storm on a weekend.
2: I related to you saying that you long for when in the beginning on Shark Tank it was not as perfect, not as polished. You know you had the person who needed I I've seen that episode the person who needed some electronic thing to be removed surgically from their ear when it when it was when it was like when the charge went out and just like absurd, absurd ideas, which was part of the charm for the show. And likewise, I was on The Housewives in the beginning when we didn't even we didn't wear makeup. I mean, we there's no makeup in interviews. I sat in like just a cable knit turquoise. Sweat. I sat like this because I was doing real. This is my real life. And they didn't have actors back then on the shows or people who had a previous uh sort of profile. So it's a different thing. And I'm not on it anymore. But at the end, I I longed for the beginning when it missed its purity and innocence and just its flawed nature. So I, I related to you saying that. You know
0: what it's like? It's like when your kids are toddlers, the most joyous part of your mothering, uh, because it's young, hasn't been formed. You haven't formed what you're going to do with it. You're just in total awe of being gifted a little angel in your life. Okay. Wait till the teenage years, you know, you start to qualify, set the rules and such. And so it is with the TV show. So it is with the business. The most exciting part of any new business are the early years. The very early is, can we make it? Can we do it? What do we do now? You know, that excitement. So the same follows, of course, with Shark Tank, Housewives, any show. It's a blessing when you're in on the early part of a show. I mean, it marries right. you forever. It's like your childhood sweetheart all over again. You're in love, right?
2: Yes. And I, so, I what do. happens I with Shark
0: Tank is in sheer uh, popularity, uh, many more visit- businesses apply. I don't even know what the numbers are. It's outrageous, whatever it is. And the chances of being selected are slim. So, the old folks that I saw on season one who had underwear that was lined with charcoal. So, if you tooted, nobody smelled it, was a great pitch. <laughs> You know, we're like, ah, ha, 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 ha. they could barely snap <sighs> but they could wear their panties and tell you how good they were. Right. Lift the dress, show you the panties. Or the engineer, uh, like a rocket science who said just a million dollars, I'll build a tower in the middle of the Atlantic and I'll turn pure seaweed into precious gold. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> you know, <laughs> now that might sound outrageous and not businessy enough, but the absurdity of all that was great comedy, great stuff that stays with you. Now, today, you know, we have uh, the technology space. Sometimes Mark Cuban gets talking with a tech guy. I have to put a pin in my cheek so I wake myself up. It gets so boring. It goes yeah, 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 yeah. This tech, and tech talk could go on for an hour and a half, and then they edit down to about a minute. Thank God to spare the audience, right? But, um, yeah, those early days are are rocking amazing. And I'm so thankful yeah. as you are, that you were there on that, you know, and it also makes you the most memorable person, by the way, people always remember the earlier people before it becomes a, uh, you know, turning door. Boom, bada boom, bada boom. Yes. Yeah, yeah.
2: exactly. Exactly. You're part of the original DNA.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire
5: Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: When you sold your business, was it a good idea to sell? Did you sell too early? Was it a good decision? Because there's always a little bit of emotion. There's always a little bit of regret. So was it just gangbusters and you were excited and it's been great?
0: I sold my business for... 66 million at two million dollars in sales. We had had uh two years in a row of making three million dollars a year in profit. I was shocked, I wasn't planning to make a profit. I'm like, that's what woke me up. I thought three million dollars a year, how did that happen? I must have missed something. I should have spent that money on more parties. I kind of missed it coming in. Uh, but when I realized I made three million dollars each of two years, I said, I bet this is worth something. Well, what do you think, Esther? I think so. You know, we were naive. We didn't know about this. We weren't business people at all. We just built this business.
2: I got it. Same.
0: But when we got the $66 million, everybody in the industry said I was grossly overpaid. I thought I got a great uh, number for the business because they overpaid because we had such a big brand. It was a brand capable of occupying or employing more than a thousand brokers, which I had when I sold. It was a brand bigger than we were because I was a great marketer, as are you. I built that brand and it was known. And so when I interviewed people, when we had 30 people in the office, I'd have a salesman come in for an interview. They thought we had 300. By the time I had 300, they thought we had 3 million. You know, it just went on because our brand on mouth was so big in the industry. But the more important piece of your question is how did it feel on my body? Or you said in a different way. And it felt terrible. So what I didn't anticipate is how much I love my family. I sold it for good reason. I had my first baby at 46, Tommy. He was two and I was so engaged at work and I want to be a super mom at home. I want to be a super mom at work. And I realized I was as capable as I am and as many hours as I'm willing to work, I could not do both well. And then I thought, Mm. I'm selling. Boom, boom, let's sell. Let's give. I want to be a mother now. Okay. So those two factors came together and I sold the business. But what I didn't anticipate is how sad I'd be without the business. Suddenly, my face wasn't on billboards or taken down overnight. Uh, Suddenly, I didn't have reporters calling me for my comment on the recent... Downfall of Wall Street or upfall of the something. I was used to being popular and I couldn't walk through a pit to my office. I had roughly 80 salespeople in my main office in my area of the floor. I walked through the 80 people, they go, Good morning, Barbara. Good morning. Good morning, Mary. Good morning, Joe. You know, I love that popularity, kind of made up for who I wasn't in high school. So I loved everything about owning, running, and building a family that I also happened to call the Corker Group. And when that was gone, I felt stripped bare of what gave me my satisfaction in life. And I was a lost baby. I didn't know what the hell to do. And so well, I, you, I, you didn't, I, didn't have to so.
2: stay in at all. You were out. I, you had got your money. Contract.
0: I didn't want to be involved because I knew I wouldn't agree with the new guys in the suits that were running the business. You know, they're all financial guys. I, I wasn't stupid. I knew they'd have a different motivation to milk the money as much as they can. Cause that's what companies do when they come in. Um, but but I was there for two years on a contract, but I didn't have to show up for work. And I did, you know, I was just there by contract, but I didn't have to do anything.
2: Oh, so I, I, have, I have, we have very similar things. I had like a back end deal and a spokesperson deal. Yeah. But I didn't, re- I mean, I had to promote a little, but I didn't really have to do anything. But I didn't have the structure you had, like the infrastructure where you felt like you went in somewhere every day. But I wonder, did you later, so when did they make so much money that you've ever sort of regretted it or feel like, wow, does it, is it interesting that it's your name? So they're sort of marketing, they help market you now, which is interesting because I sold only skinny girl cocktails. I own a hundred percent of the skinny girl brand. So while they market that in cocktails, you know, and people still think it's me when every time someone orders a skinny margarita, even if it's not skinny, skinny margarita pool, I go, uh, because it's 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 it is me. Although I'm not making money on it. So I was just sort of wondering about the aftermath, like of them being successful, it being your name, what that you gave you street cred. There's no way that it didn't give you street cred and you wouldn't be on Shark Tank probably if you hadn't had that transaction, right? Honestly,
0: I think I would have been on Shark Tank because I got picked up because I was a regular contributor to the Today Show. You know, twice a week I was on that morning show all the time talking about real estate. And people weren't going to forget that I've built a business. As long as I had the credential, I built a business. Uh, Shark Tank was going to be happy. And as long as I had the cash to put into their businesses, Shark Tank was oh, going to be happy.
2: Yeah, that's so true. That, too.
0: that was a big criteria. But I have to say, I think I built the Cochrane Group brand. In the last 10, 20 years, more than they built my brand, because I've kept that brand front and forward without even being there or working for them. If you think about it, every time I'm talking, I'm by record from the corporate group. That carries with it. So I've helped them tremendously. I must say, about five years ago or so, uh, someone within the financial network of the company called me to tell me how much money they had made that year. And I think in the one year, they made more than I sold the business for. And they were calling me, thinking I would not like to hear that. I was relieved. I'm like, God, thank God, I've been out of there twenty years. I imagine how much work that would take. But one thing does bug the crap out of me, and that is I constantly run into people who say, "I just bought an apartment from your firm." I go, "Oh, hi, good. Well, how much? Three million dollars." I go, "Six, hundred and dollars commissions." I miss. Ah, I hate. Ah. That yeah, <laughs> so I don't like for people to eagerly, excitedly tell me about how happy they were to buy from my firm when it's not my firm. And I lost that money. I so that it. does really bother me at least a few times a week, you know?
2: Yeah, I do know. People are like, I love your vodka. And I'm like, it was a cocktail and it's not vodka, but we're good. Now that money's um, gone, right? That money's that gone. Money, but that, but more than you in that way, because you still, yes, you're right. You're adding more value to them. That I was nobody. I mean, I had nothing. So that really gave me street cred. Yes. I did that. Did. D- yeah. I mean different. You were already somebody and you were contributing. I wasn't contributing to anywhere. That was me being broke to to that. Okay, so um last two questions. <laughs> Work ethic. Do you know with Instagram now and social media, which I know you're very active on and you probably like it. I despise it. But the point is I think it's comforting for entrepreneurs to know that there is no quick fix. There is no shortcut. There's no selfie, no Instagram filter. If you're a person who works hard and works smart you and you're going in the right direction towards the fish, you will be successful because I find that most people don't do that. And you talk about on Shark Tank, it's not about the idea, who's executing and are you an executor? So if you want, we could just end talking about that because I think that you know more than most about that and I think it's comforting to people who don't know how to do everything. They don't know how to have a publicist and have an Instagram and be good at it and work hard. That's what I say.
0: Work is work is called work for a reason, right? Hopefully one of the lucky ones who loves your work and then you don't think of it as work, but it's still work. And you know that very well when you're not making money and you're thinking you're going to go out of work, right? I think, uh, I think the social media, the right outfit, uh, the being on this show, being on that show, is a great gimmick and you can't underestimate the power of a gimmick in business you get a great gimmick you got a head start it's like being on shark tank i mean that shark tank effect boom you're successful overnight even if your product's no good enough people watch it that they're going to buy it but the real telling is three to six months out when you're not getting that uptick from shark tank anymore and now it comes to the most important question do you have the substance to make a success of yourself? And I think that's what you're referencing, the substance that it takes to build a business, or even if you're not inclined to be in business, to make a successful life of yourself, for yourself. And I think you're talking about uh, so many different attributes that people need. One character, Uh, good character, which sounds so old-fashioned. I never hear the word character anymore. Actually, I just said it for the first time myself in years. But good character so far as your words, your bond, what you say, you mean, and you deliver. Whether you're working for a guy and hate your job, if you're being paid, you deliver. Or whether you're working for yourself, you deliver for your partner, your customer, you find a way to deliver. But it also takes a tremendous judgment. I think the most underestimated trait in building any success is good judgment.
2: Absolutely. Love that. Love that.
0: Every day, small choices, large choices, roads not taken, roads taken. And a, you're making those exactly. snap judgments all the time. Do I trust him? I don't trust him? Do I? And you're navigating yourself quickly down that road, like a little square, you know, and you're on the wrong road. Totally. If you've been making the wrong judgments for only two years, you're like way down that road. And you got to back up, have a comeuppance and go down the right road, start all over. And people are able to do that, but. I think still, I think there's great credence, enormous credence in the power of social media or any kind of social or public face that gives you an advantage. And I, I for myself, don't invest in businesses on Shark Tank for the last two years that don't have great social presence. And you know why? Because I find people either... All that way, the marketers, that's the most modern day form of marketing Okay, in the social media space, right? You don't buy billboards anymore. You don't put full page ads in the New York Times that I was able to do to build my business. What would I have today? I would have social media, okay? And so I don't think you can be super successful and be ignorant of that. No, I think it's a gimmick that drags people in and one of the most cost-effective ways to push your business ahead. But I think it's all for naught and just a fancy show if you don't have the goods after the hook, hooks the sucker the in. You know what ethic, I
2: mean. that ethic day in, day out. Yes, I agree. Well, listen, that was extremely informational and enjoyable. And I know when we're together, we usually like laugh and joke more. But you, I want to mine you because you have such great information and the people listening are really just like hanging on every word to be successful themselves. So just like what we're talking about, and you give great advice. So I really appreciate the conversation.
0: My pleasure, Bethany. It's really nice hanging out with you
2: so that was barbara corcoran who i know uh and it's usually a little more sassy and we joke around but i kind of like to get to the meat of the matter because i want you to hear all of the tools of the trade and and how people's minds work and uh She's a tough woman, and she's got a lot of great advice, so I hope you like what she had to say. And we have similar but different perspectives on different points of our careers, so I like that too. You know, I I like people who are on here who are like, no, I don't agree with that. Okay, good. What do you think? You know, I like the difference of opinion. So I like that, and I love this, and I love you, and I would like you to remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Have a great day. Just Be is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoie. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be with Bethany.
1: Listen to Season 2 of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms.
4: I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment.
3: Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Something
1: that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now.